This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. Each of these religions is rooted in the belief that giving back to fellow humans is an act that moves us closer to God. No matter what role faith plays in your life, you can certainly appreciate the benefits of giving and receiving help. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to talk about giving and religion. Now, it's a topic that really fascinates me. I don't know, perhaps it's because of my Catholic upbringing or generally my interest in making the world a better place. But the questions, they were in me and I wanted to get them out and hopefully it's going to help you as well. So let's just start off right away. So why do we give? If you ask five people this question, you're probably going to get five different and highly personal answers. But for many people, the idea of charitable giving is often rooted in their culture or their religion. You guys heard me talk about charitable giving quite a bit on this show. We have not talked much about religion. So in fact, the three major monotheistic religions of the world all emphasize the importance of charity. So it's no surprise that so many of us are influenced by it, including me. To learn more, I sat down with three different religious leaders. They helped us take a deep dive to explore giving and religion, especially the similarities and differences in Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. As you might expect, There are some differences across those religions in terms of giving. However, each of the faith leaders made a point to prioritize the foundational role charity plays in their religion. Maybe you consider yourself a deeply religious person, or perhaps you don't practice any kind of organized religion at all. Regardless of your faith, all three religious leaders point out easy ways that anyone can make an impact on their community by giving back. If you've ever wondered how to open up your wallet to make the world a better place, you won't want to miss this conversation today. Let's jump in. Let's first discuss giving in Christianity. Justin Warns, who is the lead pastor at the Christian church that my family attends here in Metro Detroit, it's called Kensington, he has a lot to say about charity. Simply put, the concept really is biblical. Specifically, the Old Testament underscores how practices of giving were built in Judaism and later Christianity. Here's Justin. One of the things that I love of the continuation of the Old Testament to the New Testament is that there was always this heart for giving. And in the Old Testament, there was practices that were built into the culture, the Jewish culture, to kind of practice this idea of giving. And outside of just the the normal ones that we call tithing, one of my favorites, though, was this idea of gleaning. One of the practices in farm culture was you, you were supposed to leave the corners. You weren't supposed to take all of the corner of your land so that people who didn't have as much or, or going through a hard season could come and grab a little bit for themselves and their families. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap it 
to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. That's Leviticus 19.9. That's what Justin's talking about. In short, gleaning means that someone with resources should help someone who has less. In the case of farming, a farmer should harvest his land, but not the entirety, as Justin mentioned. Instead, corners or other parts should be left behind so that those in need can share in the harvest. Now, we all may not be farmers, but we can infer how this concept fits into our everyday lives. Justin also points out that charity isn't limited to the Old Testament. In fact, much of the New Testament and the teachings of Jesus talk about the heart. When you get to Jesus and the New Testament, which uh, the Christian faith is really kind of focused in on, obviously, there are moments where Jesus addresses tithing and he addresses giving. But what he does that's so beautiful is he always talks about the heart. He challenges the religious leaders of the day and he says, you do all these little things and yet your heart. There's a part in Luke 11 that talks about that. And then in a famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, he talks about treasures in heaven and treasures on earth. And and what I believe Jesus was always doing is trying to help people understand that giving or generosity to the community, to the people around you is always a matter of the heart. And it's less about what the actual dollar number is, but it's always a heart of who we are and what's flowing out of our hearts to the world around us. And I think that gets lost. I think sometimes people think it's just for buildings or for stuff and instead of it's a matter of how does the kingdom of God flourish through everyone being a part of that and being able to be a part of stories of impact. Justin went on to say that most churches are set up to help local, national, and international efforts. Plus, he says that churches exist for both members and non-members. So when someone gives to the church, the whole community benefits. Of course, giving is not just limited to the church. If I'm being very honest with your your listeners, Andy, I, I don't care if they give to a church right now. What my heart is, is that they experience a life of generosity. Because if they can experience a life of generosity, starting somewhere, maybe it's a local community thing that they're passionate about. Somebody's family is connected, something I know friends of ours are giving to longevity because of a loss in family. Like There are so many different options to partner with. Be a part of a story that's bigger than your family and yourself and experience that life of generosity. Start somewhere, 1%, 2%. Make that your goal. And Justin goes on to point out that it's not all about money. I think sometimes giving or generosity is always tied to finances. So we kind of talk about generosity in a couple different ways. We say, you know, your treasure, which is your finances, but also your time and your talents. There are ways to be generous with your time and your talents locally in incredible ways, incredible partnerships within schools. I know we run a mentoring program, tutoring program for under-resourced communities, but there are so many out there and you can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your wisdom. There was a small group years ago who are incredible you know, cooks, and they decided to go into one of our partnerships and say, hey, how can we teach others how to cook who maybe are struggling with it, with the limited resources? So how do we make financially conscious meals that are nourishing for, for children? Like, Can we give our time and our talent to that? All right, let's segue into giving in Islam. I had a conversation with Qasem Rashid, an author and human rights activist who is based in Virginia. He spoke to me about what the Quran says about giving. Islam puts two primary responsibilities on every person. One is your duty towards God, and the other is your duty towards humanity. And you can't fulfill your duty towards God without 
first fulfilling your duty towards humanity. And, and so this is why whenever the Quran talks about prayer, it follows it up with and giving charity right afterwards. You can't have one without the other. In fact, prayer by itself is not meaningful unless there's also charity given to those who are less fortunate or who, who may be struggling through something. And, and again, that, that goes back to this requirement of making sure that your worship of God isn't just isolated to sitting in your house or in your mosque or whatever your, your place of worship is and just praying to God while your neighbor is going hungry and starving. So there's this, this you know, very intertwined obligation between the two that we aspire to make sure that we, we reach in everything that we do. Not just words, but action. He also went on to discuss Islam's purpose and how community is defined. The purpose of our creation, Islam teaches, is to attain nearness to God. And, and so then giving charity personally is one means of doing that because it in- increases empathy, it increases sympathy, it develops a sense of compassion. And there's no asterisks on who you serve. It's not that you serve your Muslim neighbor or your believer neighbor even, it's that you serve your neighbor. And, and the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, the, the founder of Islam, defined your neighbor as, by one tradition, as anyone who lives within 40 houses in every direction. And so, you know, 40 also has a, a very, you know, scripturally significant meaning as well. You know, 40 days in the desert, 40 days in the mount, that it's to transform you into viewing all humanity as your neighbor. So that obligation is something that is really ingrained at a very young age. And so when you talk about your personal development, there's no possible possible way to get near to God unless you first serve God's creation. And, and that is all humanity without discrimination. My third conversation centered around giving in Judaism. I had the chance to speak with rabbi and author Dave Mason, who is based in Jerusalem. If you remember, we actually had Dave on the show for episode 197. I chatted with him about giving on our path to financial independence. Here's Dave back with us again, focusing on giving in Judaism. In Judaism, giving is a tremendous value. I like to break it down into really the two different aspects. There's kind of the gift itself and the impact that you know giving money can have on somebody else. But there's also this psychological aspect of it that is given to be of tremendous importance. And so if you actually look at our rules of giving, we have actually tiers that some of the rabbis in history have gone through and said, okay, here's a better way. Here's a less good way. We actually have an eight-stage structure that looks at you know what is the better way and what is a less way. And it's not just about, hey, giving 10,000 is better than giving 2,000. It's no, within that, what is the impact? What is the psychological impact that you're having in the way that you're giving beyond just the impact of the money itself? The very top step is giving in a way that makes somebody else independent of you. So the the top one is you want to be giving in a way that's not like, okay, this, these people are dependent on me. They're, they're coming to me. I'm giving them, look at the great guy I am. Every month they, they get to come and I keep them, you know, nice and nice and close and always, you know, really grateful to what I'm doing. So no, no, no. Can I give to them in a way that makes them independent so they don't need to be in a place of needing charity from this point on. That, that's stage one. In fact, the next three levels are all about anonymity. And really the ideal one, so level, getting to level number two, beyond making somebody independent, can I give in a way where the recipient doesn't know who was giving to them, and I don't know who I'm giving to? So I'm giving not to a specific person that I know of. There might be somebody in between. And I'm giving not to like 
be seen as a really great guy in their eyes. They have no idea who I am. Like they were to, if I was to meet them on the street, they wouldn't know that I had given to them and I wouldn't know they were the recipient of what I gave. The next two are like, well, if I know, but they don't know, or if they know, but I don't know, that's still better than, than otherwise. And beyond that, we go to, we go to le- levels of, you know, how are you giving? Are you giving with a full heart? Or are you giving begrudgingly? Are you giving everything the person needs? Or are you giving you know, a portion of what they need? But it's really important to know that if you're all the way down at level eight and you're giving only a portion of what somebody needs and you're giving it after they ask you and you're giving it begrudgingly, you got a pissy attitude, you are still giving. You know, all eight levels are still levels of giving. You're still doing something great. Just not as great as if you'd done it with the right attitude and the right, the right way, if you'd done it with a smile as opposed to doing, doing with like being annoyed. But it's still giving and it's still a positive thing to do. While much of these conversations focus on the intersection of giving and religion, there are cultural implications as well. Dave Mason has a really unique perspective having lived in both the United States and Israel. When I asked him how giving in America is different than Israel, here's what he had to say. I think we have a stigma about asking for charity in America that really doesn't exist on that same level here in, in Israel. And, it's, and we really encourage people if they can find a way to not have to depend on charity to, to do so. But going back to the story of giving my son when he was two the coins, we really wanted him to see the people who were, he was giving to as people. It was so important. We always taught him he has to make eye contact. He has to smile. He has to have an interaction with them that is meaningful. I feel like there's a turn away, you don't want to see kind of, culture a bit more in America, that there's something a little bit dirty of the people who are on the streets. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to bring myself down. You know, I'll write a check and I'll send it in and somebody else will distribute the money, but I don't really want to lower myself to that level. This, this idea that the person asking is anything less than the person giving is, I can't, I can't say we've completely gotten rid of it in Israel, but I, I do feel it's less prevalent. Dave went on to say that the real value in this is that it preserves the humanity in the act of giving. It allows people to see that who we give to are in fact people who are not really any different from us. Perhaps the most important similarity when it comes to giving and religion is that all three faith leaders stress the importance of practicing. The more we give the easier the act of giving becomes. The idea of viewing giving as a muscle came up repeatedly in these conversations. By making giving part of our routines, we can grow the giving muscle. While different religions suggest or require different percentages, each faith leader said that it was fine to start small. In fact, people who tell themselves that they have to wait until they can give large sums, unfortunately, never start to give. Just like you build muscle with a few reps and lighter weights to start, giving just a few dollars or small percentage is an important part of growing your capacity for giving. Additionally, all of the religions stress the impact of giving, not just on those who receive our gifts, but on the givers as well. When we give to others, we learn to be more compassionate and understanding. Whether we're generous with our time or our money, these gifts allow us to strengthen our community and deepen our connection to our neighbors. One of the most interesting parts of this discussion on giving is the idea of how an individual goes about giving. 
all three faith leaders were in agreement that everyone should give and it's best to start practicing right away. But there were actually two different thoughts on how to give. Some individuals like Justin Warren's might find the best way to give is to automate it. Much like you might automate your internet bill or your 401k, you can make automatic donations to different charitable organizations of your choice on a schedule that fits your budget. Here's Justin. And so we, we do that a lot of automated though, because I am terrible with checkbooks and all those things. Like automated technology was the greatest gift to my, my giving fund, as I call it, my blessing fund to people, because it allowed me to kind of set those things in, in alignment. And then every year we reassess and we say, God, what are you, what are you doing in us this year? And in the communities we're a part of and, and how do we, how do we step into it? And so we'll change and rebalance our automation of, of generosity. These automatic payments offer two benefits. They don't allow you to overlook giving and they help charities quite a bit. Regular donations, even small ones, allow organizations to budget and plan in ways that one-time gifts don't. However, other individuals like Dave Mason might choose to set up their giving differently. Rather than automating it, you might choose to deliberately give each month. Here's Dave. Every act of giving makes you into more of a giver. Every act of giving allows you to see yourself as being more generous. So sometimes I will go on these websites where I like to give money and I know how much I want to be giving a month. And I've got a little ability to check, to check the, the box that says, give every month, make this a regular subscription. And I never do. Every single time when I go to that website and I do a new gift from scratch, it's a new act of giving. It reinforces that act. It actually is, I'm so crazy about efficiency in my life and in my business. And here I'm not. Here I go the opposite way of saying, I want to be less efficient. I want to be actually having a deliberate action every time I give. Though this process is certainly less efficient, as Dave admits, that might actually be the real value. Choosing who to give to each month and manually inputting that donation is one way to reaffirm your commitment to giving back. Now let's talk about giving as a family. Dave Mason makes it a point to model giving for his family. He shared that even when his son was a toddler, Dave involved him in the process. From the time that my son was big enough to, to hold the coin, if we would be with him, he'd, we'd be pushing him in the stroller and someone would be asking, we would pass him the money and, we'd, and he would be the one to give to them because we really wanted to be teaching him from the earliest age the, the value of, of giving. In fact, he used to call these one and two shekel coins that we, that we have kind of the equivalent of quarters in Israel. He used to call them tzedakahs, which means like, you know, like charities that didn't even know like the proper name of the coins. He's like, okay, this is what I, I get these. So I give them to somebody else. And it was a real value. And it was really something to see like people just light up at this little two-year-old is coming towards them and giving them and giving them money. And till to, still to this day, he's 16. Like the idea of passing somebody on the streets, he can't bear it. Of course, Dave says that families can and should also practice giving on a bigger scale. Dave mentions that while families should strive to give 20%, 
Any amount matters, especially to start. To make giving more fulfilling and impactful, Dave suggests having conversations about where you want more significant amounts of your money to go. He personally tries to support organizations that cut out as many middlemen as possible. By prioritizing direct giving or organizations where money passes through fewer hands, your charity can have a bigger bang for its buck. In addition to donating your dollars, you can also give your time and your talent as well. Work together to brainstorm different gifts you share and then come up with a plan to offer them to your community. By involving all members in the process, it ensures that everyone feels like they're having a real impact on their community. Plus, it makes for some great bonding time. As far as giving within a community... I'm a big fan of making sure that charity isn't replacing basic needs for humanity. I think a, a competent government could support, and I'm not trying to be Republican or Democrat here. I'm just saying from a, a, a you know a very fundamental level, we can have all the charity in the world we want. Public education is a critical component of our society. We can have the charity in the world we want. Public roads and libraries are a critical component. And so I'm glad that Americans are charitable. Just to be candid, I sometimes fear people see charity as the stopgap or they see philanthropy as a stopgap to end you know, suffering and poverty. I mean, look, at the same time, one in nine children are living in poverty in America right now. One in six Americans are living in poverty. 80% of Americans, and, and I'm sure you know, you've, you've studied this in detail because of, of the work you've done, 80% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. There's this misnomer that charity alone can solve that. I think charity is a critical component of it. But I always discourage folks from thinking that that alone is the solution. We also need to ensure we have meaningful policies that support communities and help uplift communities as well. Still, he says that sometimes people don't know where to begin. In addition to giving money, Kasim says to think about your actions as well. I think that charity has to go beyond just the financial aspect of it as well. It can also be charitable with your time as well as your money. And I think it's a combination of both. Sometimes, you know, a charity can be as simple as, you know, the, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, very famously said that even a smile is charity. And so just, re, you know, returning a smile to your neighbor can be a very charitable act and it can spread goodness as well. We've all seen those videos where somebody comes on a train and starts laughing and then everybody starts laughing because it's infectious, right? It's a positive thing. And so, so spread that positive and good, uh, positivity and good cheer. But then invest your time. Every community has a YMCA. Every community has a homeless shelter or a DV shelter where they can go and they can invest their time. And, and sometimes it's as simple as being there to distribute soup or food or collect food or help kids with homework. Something as simple as that can go a long way. As Kasim alluded to, one of the most effective ways to support charitable efforts is to ask them directly how you can help. Let their responses guide you. So in the end, everyone, each of these religions is rooted in the belief that giving back to fellow humans is an act that moves us closer to God. No matter what role faith plays in your life, you can certainly appreciate the benefits of giving and receiving help. By allowing ourselves time to reflect on how we use our resources, we can have more of an impact on our community and the world around us. Talk about a powerful part of your family's financial independence journey. But enough from me, everyone. I would love to hear from you. What are your thoughts on giving and religion? What is your favorite way 
to give back. Please let me know by hitting me up on social media at Andy Hill MKM. That's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, things like that. And let me know. Also, I'm going to be releasing each of these full interviews with these great individuals that I spoke to throughout the week. So if you want to dive in further on what we talked about in full, you can check them out in the days following. I hope you enjoy the conversations and it inspires you to give with all your heart. We'll be back to the show after a quick word from our sponsors. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Let's jump back into the show. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific situation. A big thanks to Dan Tabbitt for editing today's show and to Weird Digital Marketing for their support on social media and to Dan Hines for his support on YouTube. It takes a village to bring all this together, everybody. Before we go for the day, I want to encourage you to participate in our Big Tip Tuesday Challenge this month. Our goal is to give away $2,000 across our collective communities during this month and help your hardworking neighbors in the service industry. In short, you give a larger-than-normal tip to service workers, you thank them for their hard work, and then... 
you let me know about it so I can share your good deeds on this podcast and inspire others. So in that fashion, this week, I'm going to give a shout out to Sean Sensky from North Dakota, who you've heard on the show recently. He gave a $50 tip on a small restaurant bill in a small town that he was visiting. Man, I wish I could see the server's face when you gave that tip shot. I'm sure it was a big deal, and I'm sure you made that person's day. Can I get a round of applause for our friend Sean and his Big Tip Tuesday action? All right, Sean, thank you very much for sending in that information and supporting the Big Tip Tuesday efforts just around the country in general. With Sean's generosity, everybody, we are now up to $170 with just a few weeks to go. Again, our goal is $2,000. So please send in your stories of generosity and Big Tip giving so we can crush this $2,000 goal and create some good news and good feelings in our country. You can connect with me via email at Andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or social media at Andy Hill MKM, or you can leave a voicemail, which would be kind of cool because this is a podcast, marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. And that way we can share your good news with everybody. You joining me to give just a bit more this holiday season to your hardworking neighbors, that would mean a lot to me. And as demonstrated from this episode... It could be good for your heart as well. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Albert Schweitzer. The only ones among you who will be really happy are those who will have sought and found how to serve. Give back and receive so much more, my friends. Carpe diem. 